Hello, party people. This is the Just Ideas podcast. My name's Andy. I'm with Andy, and these are Just Ideas. In this episode, we get Andy Urich's secret to happiness. Mr. McIntyre decides to call up his son, who's a sophomore over at Oklahoma State University, see how he's doing. And his son picks up the phone and he goes, Dad, I don't know. I'm stressed. Got five A's, but that one B is really holding me back. I'm not too sure. And not to mention, I still got to draft my speech because I'm running for president of student council. And it's really getting to me. And McIntyre goes, well, what the hell? You're supposed to be happy. Why isn't he happy? I'll tell you why he's not happy. Because the secret to happiness, are you ready, Andy? I'm ready. The secret to happiness is a three-prong test. And I think you'll agree, after you see the three prongs, this is why McIntyre's son is not happy. But if you could get all three of these things working for you, there is no end to how happy you could be. I gotta Have hear it. I built this up enough? I need to hear it now. The secret to happiness, self-delusion, hypocrisy, and ignorance. Wait a minute. You thought it was pizza, beer, and something else. That's how I do it. No, that's not. That's, <laughs> so you may actually be happy. But the reason McIntyre's son is not happy because he's got none of these things going for him, right? So as always, I don't expect people to just take what I say without me trying to, um, trying to explain it more fully. So think about the happiest person you know in person. I got it. Okay. So right now it's about... One o'clock in the afternoon, which means, okay, it's not really one o'clock. I was trying, people don't know what time it is, so I was (laughs) trying to make it more timely. It's one o'clock in the afternoon, and the happiest person you know is probably been awake for less than an hour, (laughs) because they get up somewhere between noon and one. And the reason they get up between noon and one is because they don't have a job. And that would be pretty damn happy if you didn't have to get up and go to work. And the interesting thing is this guy is probably a relative. Right. Right. And, and uh, now he's had a job, but when he's had the job, he gets fired. And the interesting thing is, when he gets fired and you ask him whose fault it is, what's the answer? Not my fault. It's not his fault. Matter of fact, if it's your uncle on your father's side, he's lost 27 jobs, never been his fault. That's the secret to happiness. Now you look at McIntyre's son, right? If 99% of what that kid did this week, he did well. One percent, he could have done better. Mm-hmm. What's he going to spend the weekend thinking about? All that one percent. Yep. What's he going to talk to his dad about? The one percent he could have done better. That's the secret to success, not the secret to happiness. The secret to happiness is no matter how much you screw up stuff, not your fault. Bank repossesses your car. Whose fault is that? A bank. Crooked bank should <laughs> not have loaned me money if I can't pay it back. Right? Wife leaves him. Ah, never liked her anyway. State takes away his driver's license for not paying child support. That's okay. Bank took my car, right? (laughs) Nothing seems to slow him down, right? He just keeps on going and nothing's his fault, right? So there's your self-delusion. We got our hypocrisy. You go to family reunions? I've been to one and that was all I needed. Were the happy people there? Oh, well, (laughs) here and there. Every family has a happy person or two. Oh, for sure. And when you go to the family reunion, try to stay the hell away from the happy people. (laughs) But if you're not careful, suddenly there he is, the brother-in-law. He's right next to you. Hypocrisy. Tell me if I'm wrong. Will he not criticize people who have a job, pay their bills, and take care of their children? Then when when you can't take it anymore, you try to point out he's ignorant. Suddenly he's trying to explain that you're ignorant. And the worst part of the story is 
he's happy. Right? Nothing seems to bug him. On the other hand, your parents probably stressed. Right? What are they worried about? What are they not worried about? Worried about doing a good job? Worried about my kids? Worried about the future? Worried about retirement? They're probably worried about world peace. <laughs> What's Uncle Gary worried about? A car, maybe. <laughs> no, he's not worried about anything. Nothing sets him back. He's like a squirrel living in the moment. Right? People say, well, he worries about beer and cable TV. Not really. It's always there, but he doesn't seem to worry. So actually, I want to be accurate for our listeners. The second most annoying thing is that he's happy. The most annoying thing is, even though he's never really had a job ever, somehow his TV is bigger than yours. <laughs> I go visit my, my uh, brother-in-law, and I'm like, dude, did they build the mobile home around this big screen? Because I see no <laughs> opening in this trailer big enough to get that thing in there, right? right? But somehow, and you know, if you're going to be watching TV 16 hours a day, it's worth the investment. If you've ever seen Seinfeld, it's like Kramer in that New York City apartment. <laughs> he oh, never worked a day in his life, and he's on strike from the bagel shop. Yeah, what was Kramer's job? That's just it. He had a lovely New York City apartment, and he's on, you find out one episode that he's on strike from a bagel place, and he's always happy. Never he, had a bad day. That's it. Kramer is always happy, right? And Jerry is never really happy, no, right? Never. His whole shtick is walking around getting irritated by everybody who's happy. <laughs> if there were less happy people, the world would be a better place. Put me down for that. Okay. So let's talk about McIntyre's son for a minute, right? So there's actually research. I know you're the one who usually brings in research, but um, there's research that shows that which I'm saying is actually too true. Ignorance is bliss. Okay. So when McIntyre's son is taking a test, right, he's taking a multiple choice test, he's thinking to himself, well, I, I, I read the question. I think it's uh, choice A. It's multiple choice. Right. For this reason and that reason. Then he looks at B and he's like, uh-oh. There's this other thing I don't understand that could change everything. B is probably wrong for this reason, but if this thing that I don't understand is different, B could be the right answer. So what McIntyre's son was doing when he was complaining to his dad is he was wondering, worrying, and doubting. And that, <coughs> excuse me, is what leads to success, but it's not what leads to happiness. People who are, you know, not very clever are very sure they're right. And clever people always wonder, well, I could be wrong. There's an Italian proverb that says, the fewer the facts, the stronger the opinion. What do you think about that? That's what this research would show is, is true, right? So when Mac, now you, now I, I don't know, I should know what your grades are because you're in my class, but I, <laughs> I never check because I don't care because I don't think they're indicative of anything. So people who get straight A's, every time they walk out of the test, what do they say? I failed. They say, I failed every single time. Yep. And you're like, this has been going back to sixth grade, yeah. right? They walk out and go, oh, I think I'm going to fail, right? Because what are they doing there during the test? They're wondering, they're worrying, and they're doubting. Mm -hmm. So they're not sure on half of them, right? Right. So they walk out and they say, I don't know. And you ever notice this? Successful people are very pessimistic and skeptical that anything's going to work out. A lot of cynicism, yeah. Yeah, the key to being upper middle class is think nothing's going to work right. <laughs> you got a job interview, you got to drive there the day before to make sure Google's op accurate. You got to look at the parking lot to figure out where you're going to park, and you leave 30 minutes early to make sure if there's an accident or something, you're not late for your interview. Right. Poor people, phenomenally optimistic. My nephew is flunking biology, and he's like, I think I'm going to be a dentist. <laughs> and I'm like, 
I don't want to be the uncle who crushes the dream, sure. but it's like, you know, you don't brush your own teeth is, is where we are on this thing. Why don't we start with personal dental health before we <laughs> get into administering it, yeah. administering it to other people? Here's what the research shows. Okay. They, they tested people's competency in six different competencies. And what they found was people who score in the top 10%, so the most competent people, and it doesn't matter the competency, any competency, the top 10% dramatically underestimate their level of competency. So the people who actually are in the top 10%, those A students, they guess on average they're at the 67th percentile. So the people who have, are the most confident believe one out of most competent, believe one out of three people is more competent than me. Right? So they're dramatically underestimating what their, what their competency is. So that's why when they say they're not playing a game, when they come out and say, oh, I think I got a D or maybe even an F, right. like they really believe it because they know they don't know it all and they're wondering, they're worrying and doubting, and they are significantly underestimating themselves, right? So, um, you know, you probably tell by the bitterness in my voice, I was not a straight A student, never had that problem. <laughs> but my strategy for multiple choice, as a matter of fact, was this, look, seven C's in a row. There's no way there's going to be eight C's in a row. I'm picking between A, B, and D. <laughs> so as soon as I became a professor, I decided I'm going to put 11 C's in a row just to freak them out. You didn't do that in No, I did life, at the did beginning. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. I just thought it'd freak them out. But of course, you know how students are. None of them got them right anyway, so right. nobody noticed. <laughs> so anyway, except the straight A student who was sweating bullets. So, I it. But it, you know, if people are listening, you don't care about the A student, do you? No. You want to know what about the people at the bottom? Here's what the study showed. People who do things badly were supremely confident of their abilities. They were actually more competent, confident than the people who did things well. So the people who scored in the bottom 10%, almost every single one thought they were in the top 20%. The bottom 10% <laughs> thought they were in the top 20%. The top 10% thought one out of three people smarter than me. Right, so they thought they were around the 33% mark. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So if that doesn't explain what's going on in our society, I don't know what else does, right? The very worst people think they are the smartest people. And then there you go, all that confidence. If you're confident, then all those other people, the bottom 50%, let's say arbitrary, of course, yeah. are going to follow the confident ones and they're in the bottom 10. Absolutely. Oh, right. And the, you know, yeah. yeah, it goes back to your Italian proverb that you mentioned, right? right? The less that you know, the more sure you are that you're right. <laughs> so this cleared up a huge mystery for me. Because I was a professor for 19 years before I found this study. Here's what was happening for 19 years. A student would come in my office. Boy, I did real bad on that test. <laughs> Why does I'd he say, talk like that? I don't know. <laughs> they always do. Okay. And I said, well, first of all, you did badly. Gotcha. Right? And they're like, ah, I, I do what now? Do what? Which is an expression of people who aren't going anywhere. Right. But my goal would be try never to say do what now. Right? And I said, well, it's an adverb modifying. Never mind. Yeah. Right? Uh, how bad was it? And they say, well, I got, I got a 32. I said, you got 32 on a test. That's right. I said, what went wrong? And for 19 years, here's what they said to me. I don't know. I'm like, what do you mean you don't know? Like, I don't know what went, went wrong. Well, what, what did you think? I thought I was going to get an A or at least a B. I'm like, you thought you're going to get an A or a B. You get 32 out of 100 on a multiple choice test. What went wrong? And the answer, of course, is I don't know. And here is the whole crux of this story. You got to know something to know that you don't know it. 
And this is the trap of life, right? You don't know what you don't know. So you don't know that you don't know it. The same skill it takes to recognize that you're bad at something is the same skill it takes to be good at it. So as you learn about something, you learn about your weaknesses and how it's not perfect, but you have to know a lot. So my goal, you know, when I, when I, when I talk to my, my classes is like, I have one semester to teach you enough to know that you don't know anything. <laughs> and that's my job, right? And that's why I always say, I'm not happy till you're not happy, there right? Because I don't need, the world's got enough happy people. You're in my class. My goal is you're not happy, right? And I just got to get you to that point where you know enough to know you don't know it all, that I set you free and you spend the rest of your life wondering, worrying, and doubting, and you end up successful. Well, I'll tell you what, I think you told me once upon a time, the attire of those who are going places and those that aren't, and we talked about it in another episode about how khaki pants are the end-all be-all, but isn't it that those people that never wear shirts outside or in public places, those are those same ones that say, I did bad on a test, I don't know. You got you got to always wear a shirt. And more on that on a different episode. Okay. But we'll do we'll do the shirt thing another day. But you're, yeah, you're right, right? It's like they know we're having a class on success skills, and they know the success skills are wrong. I was listening to a, a Run DMC song on my over here, and they said, "Next time someone's teaching, you need to get taught." Right? And that's <laughs> the thing. People are sitting in the class. Some are listening, and some are like, "This is BS." And of course, the successful ones are listening, and the unsuccessful ones at the age of 20 already know this isn't right, right? And that's, and gotcha. that's, that's, that's just the amazing, the amazing thing about the, the plan. So, of course, you come to you know, my class, and you get a 32 out of 100. My goal is not to make you happy. No. My goal is to make you successful. So I try to break through the self-delusion. I say, look, you got 32 out of 100 on a multiple choice test. You know what I mean? Like, what? <laughs> well, you didn't get all those points by yourself. What do you mean? It's a randomness factor. Right. And they're like, what? A monkey would have got a 25. Right? <laughs> That's the point I'm trying to make here. You beat the monkey by seven. <laughs> right? That's where we are at 32. Right. Matter of fact, give us some thought. A lucky monkey could have beaten you. Statistically, if 11 monkeys filled out that Scantron, randomly one of those monkeys would have had better than 32. That's how bad this is. So there's two opportunities at this point, right? You could say, wow, I'm a fool. Or, but they're not going to do that, right? Because nothing's ever their fault. So what are they going to do? Well, I think that student that came to you probably said, forget it. I'll just take the 32 and walked out. Well, you, you, I mean, you, you can't just take the 32. That's evidence you're an idiot. <laughs> well, you got to blame somebody. Okay. Who are you going to blame? You probably. Yeah, me. <laughs> so interestingly, the A student who gets an 88 in my class, okay. what do they do? Blame themselves. Hyperventilate. <laughs> a B. They look in the mirror like, oh, my God, I'm not as smart as I thought I was. They grab a bag, try to restore their vital signs, right? <laughs> they study their ass off. Right. The next test, they get a 98. Tell you another w annoying thing about being a professor. You know who comes and sees you during office hours? Who's that? The people who get a 98 and want to know which one they miss. <laughs> the moron never shows up till dead week, right, when he sees he's going to get an F for sure and says, what should I do? I say, study for your other classes. Because you've been eliminated from the playoffs, right? <laughs> no matter what you do, you're done. What do you mean? What do you mean? What do I mean? You're the Cleveland Browns, right? It's the <laughs> playoffs are on and you're not in it. No. That's what's going on here. So the A student comes in, oh, I got a 98. Like, see which one I miss. I get out the answer key and God damn it, I got it wrong. They got a 100 and I got a 98. I correct their scores. They don't tell anybody. I'm not going back and correcting 300 things, right? So that's how that ends up going. So 
the, the moron who got the 32, it's time to f- evaluate the professor. He gets the evaluation. He zeroes me out. And then he writes down, Andy sucks and spells it wrong. That's how I know it's him. Yeah. Right? And it probably doesn't matter because I've been there a long time. But for a lot of years with my very best friends, with five of us, we would all, the, the university gives us a grade point. And at the, at the beginning of each semester, we get our grade point from last semester. So we all go to lunch and we have to show our grade point. Okay. And whichever the five of us had the highest grade point, the other four have to buy a round of lunch. Okay. So it isn't just four free lunches. More valuable than that is bragging rights over your four best friends. It always is. So we all try to game the system. And the question, the university gives us the evaluation form at midterm. We get to give it any day we want over a five-week period. So the question is, what day do you give it? to get the best results. One of my friends believed familiarity breeds contempt. The day he gets it, he gives it because he believes as the semester goes on, they just keep turning on him. Another one believes hope springs eternal. He gives it the day before a test because it's been the longest since you've last flunked and he hopes you're optimistic about the test that's coming. When do you give it? Well, wait, there's two more. Okay. I appreciate your enthusiasm. I know, I gotta know. Two of them were gamblers. And what you do if you're a gambler is you carry those evaluation forms around and you're waiting for cold and or rain. You follow? I just know that I don't know the inside of a classroom whenever it's cold and rainy. Exactly. When it's cold and rainy, the class attendance is down. Yeah. (laughs) So you ask yourself, who's skipping class just because it's raining? My research shows that A and B students are waterproof and insulated and (laughs) able to come out in any weather. So you get the vote counted while the DNF students are safely staying warm and dry. However, the weather doesn't always cooperate. So some semesters you just get hammered. Because you never got that day, that perfect day. So once I read the study about the secret to happiness, the answer appeared to be crystal clear to me. The optimum time to give the evaluation is during the test. Because during the test, the moron thinks he's getting an A, (laughs) right? So he gets an A, right? Yurik's not so bad. Gets his test back 32. Damn, too late. At the moment you evaluated me, you thought you were getting an A. So after 19 years, I give the evaluation during the test, and it is the highest evaluations I've ever had by a significant margin. My friends looked at me and said, he doesn't seem any more charming. Of course, I'm not any more charming. The secret to my success is the moron thinks he's getting an A. And he never bought lunch again with his friends. (laughs) So Andy, it sounds like I have to to lead a pretty unhappy life to be happy, considering delusion and hypocrisy. I mean, how am I ever going to get on board with something like that? Well, this, I mean, it, this is the, the, um, the paradox of life, right? The, the happy people are very, very unsuccessful, and the successful people are very, very stressed out. And if you think about it, you know that's true, right? All the smart students are balls of stress, and most of the ones who are flunking don't even give a damn. Like, you know, I got, I, this happened just this semester. These parents called me up. My, my, my son's flunking. We'd like to talk to you. I'm like, okay, what class is he in? Oh, he doesn't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How the hell is he going to pass? The, like, here's the answer, parents. He doesn't care. 
He doesn't care. That's the answer. You're stressed out, but he's not. The only stress in his life is you're making him talk to me. Yeah, there you go. That's the only stress he's got. He doesn't know how to write an email, let alone subject line or anything. (laughs) It's too stressful. So this happiness stuff is a paradox, and I got to be successful and stressed. So there's got to be some punchline to this whole thing, right? Yeah, so the punchline is that the key, if you want to be successful, you wonder and you worry and you doubt. You have to remember the moron is always certain. The moron knows they're right. The moron never changes their mind. The key to success for all of us, wonder, worry, and doubt, and always be ready to change in the face of evidence that we didn't get it right the first time. I guess I'll have to start changing my life for the worse. I'll, I'll think on that. This is Andy and Andy, and these are just ideas.